0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo. Pumped to get into today's episode, we've got Todd Bustler in the house. Todd is the currently the co-founder of Champify, which is helping to unlock a new pipeline channel for sales reps. Um, before that, he started his career as a sales engineer at SAP, was one of the first reps at Square, And then spent the bulk of his time at Heap, where he went from the first go-to-market hire, the first AE, all the way up to the VP of sales in six years, uh, which is crazy growth. We talk about his whole uh, path from getting into sales uh, to jumping around to landing at Heap and how he grew from rep to VP in six years and all the different skill sets that he needed. Uh, And then, of course, why he went to go out and start his own thing with Champify, the problem that they're solving. If you're interested in career growth, if you're interested in being a rep at uh, an early stage company, if you're interested in potentially an entrepreneurial journey, Todd's episode is for you. So uh, stick around real quick. I'm going to just give a shout out to our sponsor and then we'll get to the interview. Uh, So this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dooley. As you probably know, my mission is to help sellers become the best versions of themselves at work and in their lives. That's exactly what the team is doing over at Dooley. Dooley is what top performing sellers use to stay next level organized and have better sales conversations. From smart sales notes with AI that syncs directly to Salesforce to one-click pipeline updates and pre-built templates, Dooley eliminates the CRM admin work you hate, giving you the freedom to sell. If you want to hit O-T-E without working O-T, give Dooley, get Dooley for free at dooly.ai That's dool y.ai. i love the people over at Dooley. Shout out to them. Appreciate them supporting us. Go check them out again at dooly.ai. You can also hit me up on LinkedIn if you have questions on the show and want to see anything else that I'm doing but for now, let's get straight into my episode with Todd Bus- Busler. Let's go. All right, Todd Busler, welcome to the podcast, my man. How are you? Doing well, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We um, got you in uh, outside the home today, uh, down in Austin, Texas. Sounds like you had a, an event last week.
1: We did. We just uh, we did an offsite this week, and then had a customer event last night. I'm sitting in my brother-in-law's office where i can't figure out how to turn the light on you can see his old football helmet and stuff uh, but yeah it's been awesome here in austin this week got a bunch of customers and prospects together and a lot of people doing interesting forward looking things on the sales and sales ops side um yeah it was it was a really good event
0: love it love it did you get some uh some barbecue down there yet or no
1: not yet i think tomorrow i'm doing the terry blacks thing and looking okay. forward to it
0: yeah nice nice um well i'm excited to have you on man um you know, for a number of reasons. One, uh, I'm I'm very interested in in some of the stuff that you're doing now with Champify. You're also someone that um, has climbed through, just looking through your your history, like climbed through the ranks from you know AE to VP of Sales at you know I don't know if Heap is slash was a unicorn or what the valuations were or whatnot, but you know climbed through the ranks so incredibly fast um, and have a lot of different experiences that you know I'm I'm excited to dive into and. Um, you know, just from, from listening to you on some other shows, I know it sounded like, you know, you were an athlete football player and then came into, um, you know, the world of sales through just like a friend referral to be a, an engineer or sales engineer rather at SAP. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's exactly it. I, play, I played football pen. Almost everyone goes into finance. I didn't really have interest in that. Um, I grew up like always doing interesting entrepreneurial stuff. And like everyone was always like, you need to get into sales. You need to get into sales. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that at some point. I don't know how that will shake out. And then a buddy of mine was working at SAP, which I didn't even know what it was. And he said, hey, they have this sales training program. And when I actually met a recruiter, I found out it was to be a sales engineer. I remember like being in the interview, Googling, like, what is a sales engineer? (laughs) Uh, ultimately seeing okay, that's the person who like does the demos, understands the product deeply. And I was like, okay, this could be an interesting blend between doing sales and like learning a little bit more about how these businesses operate, understand what these products are actually delivering. And a big company training, I
0: think is really useful out of school. Um, so all that looked excited and I hopped in. So what were some of the, uh, before we get into the sales world, what were some of the entrepreneurial ventures of a young Todd Bustler?
1: A bunch of things I started, I grew up on the beach. I'm a surfer. So uh, we ran a surf camp for a while, a bunch of tourists that were coming in, taught surf lessons, end up growing that quite a bit. Uh, Me and all my friends actually used to sell ice cream on the beach. Like we're actually pushing the ice cream on the beach and we'd end up selling a bunch of our own stuff to make a bunch more money. Um, They're the two big ones. Uh, And then I ran a parking lot for a really like popular (laughs) restaurant, which like ended up being like, me having a couple of people under me running around different parking lots, making deals when we got full to go and make sure we're maximizing the tips we can get. All little kind of tourist related stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Wait, where Where was this? This is in
1: South Jersey. So it's in okay. between Atlantic City and Ocean City, New Jersey, small little beach town. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's on beach cruisers and sharing boats and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Did you have an entrepreneurial family too, or, or Uh, my
1: mom worked in that restaurant as well. Yeah.
0: We, me and my
1: brother and sister both worked in and my dad's a professor, So my dad's an econ professor. That's kind of always thinking about business. I think more of a teacher than the doer. Um, so no, no, like direct ties.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, um, so you get into training sales engineer, um, at, at SAP, you know, big company, I imagine like pretty solid training. Um, and then, you know, it seems like you're probably doing pretty well. And, and after a, a period of time, I imagine you're saying like, get me to the AE side, like, let me start closing some deals or what are we thinking? Yeah, That,
1: that was exactly it. I think there's two things that I take away from that is the first thing is, your first job is really important because you're starting to build your network. Like when I look back at that training class, I think there was 12 of us. We were all together for like six months. And I look at all of them. Now they're all VPs at big companies. They're all doing really well. So, you know, a big part of that was I didn't realize that I was doing this, but you know, we're building friends of people that have helped me and we've remained close. So like, that's one important thing. And I think a lot of com- people get into these, Hey, I want to do a startup. I want to do a startup. I'm going to learn the most. Like, I agree with that, but there's a lot of benefits of these bigger company trainings. Like you get paid well, it's extremely thorough. Like they're video, videotaping you doing presentations. You get rid of your ticks. You, you you get to on their dime go really deep, not while you have this quota waiting. So there's a lot of big benefits of that. And then essentially what you said was becoming true. I was I was starting to realize. Okay, I, I figured this thing out. I'm starting to do a lot of the demos. Um, hold on. I could do this demo. Great. And the deal isn't going to close. I don't think I'm in the right role. You know? Yeah. And I wanted to say, you know, everyone's saying, Hey, he's the quarterback. I'm like, all right, I want to be that person. So I started to look around. I said, okay, I'm 23 year old kid trying to go sell SAP style deals. Like this probably isn't the right place to, to cut my teeth as an early AE. So I started looking at other companies that I thought would be interesting. Uh, that would be a good place to like get a lot of at bats as a seller. Yeah. Um, I had a, a university recruiter that was you know at Penn even when I left from Square and I was like hey I know I'm not I already graduated but I'm really interested and I I went and got an early AE job at Square Was one of the first like eight or ten AEs there um, and saw that grow from like you know five or eight of us to about 60 in one year so I got a ton of at-bats watched to see like there's a whole big world of sales operations and territory planning, compensation and enablement, and all the other things started to open to my eyes to like, oh, this sales thing is a lot bigger than I thought. And there's a lot more areas of specialty than I thought.
0: And was all this in, because uh, I know you live in New York now, Was all this in New York or where were you? No, well, so you the,
1: the training program I thought was going to be in Philadelphia. And then at the last minute, they're like, it's actually going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I moved out there for about a year and a half. Okay. And then I moved up to the Bay Area to work at Square. And I was there for about I was in San Francisco for about four years.
0: Okay, got you. And so, um, and Square—you were the first like eight to ten AEs at Square. Period. Period. But what's yeah, interesting okay.
1: about Square is that they had about eight hundred employees at the time, which wow. sounds crazy for how small that sales team is. But if you remember this, like twenty fourteen where square was really synonymous with like farmer's markets. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're really just starting to get into all the coffee shops. And then we were focused on chains of coffee shops and quick service restaurants and services business. And they were just starting to do like real, you know, deals that wasn't, you know, Tom selling watermelon at the farmer's market. Right. So that's when they needed those salespeople, even though they got to 7,800 employees before that started.
0: What was what was some of the more like challenging parts of like coming from an engineer where, you know, obviously, you know, there's pros and cons to being a sales engineer, right? Because you get on, you give a great demo and the deal doesn't close and you're like, you know, what the hell? Or, and even if it does close, I don't know if they even get commission or it's it's certainly less yeah. than the AE would get. Um, but then again, like you don't have to go like cold calling and prospecting and, and all that stuff either. So um, how how did you kind of feel about the transition? Like, were you excited about the other parts of AE or... Were you kind of like, damn, I got like, this is a lot of cold emails I got to send at Square.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in general, people underestimate like SE background going into sales, I think is an awesome background. Yeah. I think it's easier to learn how to prospect than it is to give great demos and value sell. Mm. So like, I, I think in general, that's a, a, a good path. Um, I, However, when I first got there day one, they're like, all right, here's the list of people to call, like go. And I remember being like, shit, there's like eight or ten people haven't really done this before. Like, here we go. And I remember being nervous in the beginning of like, all right, I'm making calls on the floor. Here we go. That wore off after like, you know, two, three hours. And I got really comfortable with everyone. Um, I think really what I I realized is that, you know, I didn't close beforehand. So like I was doing great demos. Hey, good job, Todd. Like we, we hit on all the key points, but someone after is having those uncomfortable discovery questions where they're asking customers to go deep and really open up about pain and pushing those next steps and making sure they're holding people accountable to timeline. So all that was new. Right. And luckily I sat next to some people that are really good sellers and quickly was picking up what they were doing. Um, and then, you know, after a month or two, I started to get the hang of it and was kind of rising to the top, but yeah, it was uncomfortable in the beginning. Like I remember being like nervous about making all these calls in front of people. Like, is this how it works? Um, however, I think, you know, that wears off quickly and just got to throw yourself in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. was the, uh, out of curiosity was the culture at square like the sales culture in particular a lot different than sap like such a big company
1: yeah it couldn't be more different it yeah couldn't be yeah more
0: different. <laughs>
1: like you know sap the reps are you know a lot of gray hair have been around yeah. the block right these were mo- at square's very junior sales team very heavy on the phones but also camaraderie like everyone was next to each other celebrating so it was the first time of more of the you know, Silicon Valley tech company type of sales team that I saw. And I, I loved it. I
0: loved yeah. it. Yeah. So you're there for like two years. You're seeing the team grow from eight to 60 companies growing, you know, companies, you know, doing really well. Um, why leave? And, and when you leave, why go to heap like as the first AE? Yeah. So it's a good, it's
1: a great question because square was also doing really well. Like they, had not yet IPO, their their subsequent rounds were all growing valuation very quickly. Two things happened. I looked around and I was, I was like, um, the product was Squares brand was always a lot further ahead than their product. Mm. So like I think with the Jack Dorsey appeal and Allure of all that. Um however the deals weren't big. So what I started to realize, I was looking and making a m- bunch more friends in San Francisco. And I was like, I think I'm smarter than a bunch of my friends and I'm willing to work harder. And they're making gobs of money (laughs) and I'm not. And and I ultimately was just like, hey, it's just because the deal size, like I was doing well, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't the chance to have the big, you know, IC years you'd like if you're a rep. So I started after a year or so being like, okay, my options here go into a management path pretty early at Square and focus on that S&B deal size, volume, et cetera, which I wasn't really excited about. So it was mainly driven by wanting to get into bigger deals. And then also getting a little bit closer to those supporting functions. Like mm-hmm. I, I think because of my SE background, I'm a little bit nerdy or a little bit more ops focused. So when I was watching the onboarding and how they built territories and comp structure, all that was piquing my interest. So I, I decided, let me go to a really early stage company where I'm touching all of that, betting on myself. And if I can figure it out, there's, there's a lot of benefits there from a, a comp kind of dollars perspective. I remember I told my dad, I was like, hey, I'm going to this company, Heap. And he's like, what are you doing? This is a five-person company, all first-time people doing this. Like they had only raised the seed round at the time. Um, So yeah, it was definitely risky, but I I was like, all right, I don't have that much to lose. I don't have a family. I'm willing to bet on myself. Like in general, I think the themes in which they're pulling on are right and growing. I don't know if they'll win or be big, but like this is going to be a thing. And I I took the bet. I, I like the founders a lot. They had a lot of respect in kind of my ideas in the interview phase. They wanted mm. to be, they 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 respected me from the beginning. They thought like the SC background and the AE background was right because it is a pretty technical product. There wasn't any sales engineers yet, so it just felt like all right. If I'm going to make a bet, now's the right time. This feels like the right group to do it. With.
0: Yeah. Did you have any like second doubts when you're saying like you know your dad saying like what the hell are you doing? Um. You know.
1: I did. I, I have a, uh, a friend of mine named Beth. She now runs sales at a company called Noetic. Uh, she was a couple years ahead of me. She was at Square. And I remember going to her and I go, you know, I don't know if I'm, I really liked Square because I consider myself entrepreneur and you're talking and learning about interesting businesses every day. And I said, do I really want to sell this product analytics thing? Like, I don't really know what it is. Am I going to be excited about talking about it? Now, I remember she said something that I always remember. She said, what you're excited about is up and to the right. And I was like, that's exactly right. Like, I'm looking for a high growth opportunity that will give me more opportunities. The thing we're talking about, sure, I can figure out how to get excited about it. Um, in terms of doubts, yeah, I definitely had doubt. Like I asked, I remember going to like the five smartest people I knew and basically saying, what do you think about this? I did it from like a business perspective and an engineer perspective because, yeah, they were all telling me about the amazing tech and all these changes, but I didn't know. So I went to the five smartest engineers. I knew at square. And I said, what do you think about this thing? Is this going to be a thing? And that gave me enough confidence to say, okay, this seems like it's going to be a category, whether we're the team that wins or not, right. That's up to us, but I'm, I'm willing to take that bet. And I felt like I had enough of the right training to know what I was doing at least 50, 60%. And that was enough to say, all right, let's bet on myself.
0: Yeah. I love that. And you know, I, I talk to a lot of, you know, AEs, SDRs all the time that are, you know, first, you know, they might be the first AE, they're considering that job or it's a new product line. There's just a lot of unfamiliar territory. Like, was there anything that, you know, going back now that you wish, obviously it worked out because you were there for six years, you were the VP, we'll we'll get to to some of that success, but as it relates to like territory, comp structure, like. All that stuff that can get really fuzzy when you're so early in at a company and it's only your second time being an AE or you probably don't know much at the time. Like, Was there anything that you wish you asked in the interview, wish you like uh, kind of figured out ahead of time or, or maybe you didn't have any issues there, but figured I'd ask that?
1: No, it's a great question. I think there's a couple things. So advice for people going early stage is the founder should be an open book. Like, I remember I said, I got the offer. I said, cool, let me come spend a couple of days with you. I want to listen to you on active sales calls. I want to hear how they're going, what people are being said. I want you to pull up your CRM. They didn't even have a CRM at the time. I said, pull up your Google sheet of all your paying customers. Who bought, how, how are you going to grow these? And, and Ravi, co-founder who was running the business side, just opened that up. And he goes, look, I'm not good at this. And I'm already getting some of these deals done. Like, I'm hoping you're 10 times better than me. But here's where we are. Here's the meetings we have. Here's the lead flow. And when I saw all of that, I'm like, okay, can I make this 10% better? Can I get this deal size a little bit bigger? Okay. They're making this marketing higher. And you start to do that math in your head and you're like, okay, there's something here. Like if I, if I can actually impact those metrics in the way I thought, I think the second thing that I didn't do as well that now I know is getting some peers that have done this move before and just understanding, Hey, is this comp fair? Like, is this ramp fair? What happens if this number's way off? And have those conversations with some of your peers that have done it before. So you're going in saying, hey, I understand the market. I've talked to a couple of VCs. I know what I should be paid for this. I did some of it, but I wish I did even more. So like yeah. to me, it's like get peers, go deep on the founders, making sure they're like honest and upfront about what's happening. And the third part, and now I also didn't do this well, but now I do it. It's a big part of like, everything I, I do is having mentors and advisors that are multiple steps ahead saying hey mm-hmm. what am i not even thinking about right or can we pay you to to come in like if i was doing this again i'd say i only take this job if i can get this advisor and you need to pay for that you know like little things like that i think go a
0: long way so let's let's pull on that thread a little bit so like can you give me give can you give me an example of of how what you maybe just elaborate on what you just said about like that advisor but then it sounds like that's that's part of your methodology. Like you're a first time young founder, co-founder of this business. And I'm sure you have, you know, mentors and a a personal board of directors. That's, you know, a a pretty long list. Like how are you structuring that? And like, how are you getting these people like in your circle and and making sure that they, you know, want to spend time with you and want to, you know, give you advice and things like that?
1: Yeah. I think the peers group is easier because you're kind of figuring it out with a bunch of people. So like some of the guys and gals from SAP that I'd worked with, they were now moving to other companies, some startup. So I had an initial group to talk to and I had made some friends at Square that have moved around. So I had an initial peer group. I think from the advisor perspective, I didn't do this well up front. So I was asking some, a manager at Square that I know had spent some time in you know, tech companies to say, is this right? What do you think? Is this fair? However, at Heap, that's where we really started to use a bunch of advisors. And that's when what I did is is just saying, hey, I'm really excited you're here. I'm really excited to learn from you. And then I fostered those relationships. So even if they only did a short-term agreement with us for a couple months, they helped us out. I always stayed in touch. I always tried to be helpful for them. Um, And then now when I pick up the phone and call them, you know, I'm not asking for money or anything in return. And they're always helping me out. Yeah. Um, and then if I know whatever they're up to or what they're looking for, I'm always trying to support them as well. So it goes both
0: ways. Yeah. I love that. Um, so you went from first day at heat and uh, I think four years ish later, you were the VP of sales. So um, first of all, that's crazy. Uh, That's awesome. I, I would love to hear like what you, what your thought process to, was and what you did to, make sure that you were the right person for that role when it came because you're probably, I don't know, late 20s, 30 years old at a fast growing startup. A lot of VPs have more, you know, sometimes have more gray hairs. They've maybe done this rodeo before and this would be your first crack at it. And so what you see a lot of times is like, you know, the early AEs, um, they get stuck at a certain level. They don't get to that role because maybe they haven't, you know, built that skill set up and they bring someone that was formerly at Salesforce or, you know, wherever else, um, that's done this show before to, to kind of take the reins. So how did you, how did you like keep like repositioning yourself and like relearning those skills to, to grow with the company?
1: I think, I think there's a couple things. Um, the first thing is building a good relationship with the, the leader leadership team, which isn't just, Hey, you need to be friends and get beers. It's like doing really high quality work. So they value your opinion. I remember when I first started the second rep they hired, because everyone was reading kind of Jason Lemkin hired two reps at once to start. And I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I agree with it. I remember they were getting ready to make an offer to someone else. And I said to them, I said, Hey, I talked to this guy. I like him. I think you could do well. I wouldn't hire him. His background is very similar to me. We don't know what we need yet. You should hire someone with a different background, right? So we can actually figure out what is the rep profile that's really going to work here. And I think they looked at that as a way that was saying, OK, he's thinking bigger about the business. He's mm. thinking what's actually best for the business. Not, you know, a lot of the, those AEs would say, hire someone worse so I get more leads, right? I wasn't thinking yeah. that way. I remember we hired Becca. She's now the head of sales at DBT. She was way better than me when she just started. Like she yes. had more direct experience in our space, similar deal sizes. And then it became for the first six months of competition between me and her, who was doing more per month, who was getting the, you know, every month we were doing the new newest, biggest deal, right? Um, and then I think after that, it came down to just, I was I'm pretty low ego like I didn't care about the title I just wanted this thing to work, work. and I think they saw that and you know I remember we were hiring for a first VPS sales we were interviewing a bunch of people some people that we didn't hire that I wish I hired like Kyle Parrish who just had a big mm. outcome at Figma that I, I've become friends with even though he didn't take that job um, but. In that interview process, I was just trying to say, are we getting the right person that's a right fit that's going to help? Great, I'm excited to learn from this person, right? Yeah, we ultimately hired a VP of sales that didn't work out. And I think at that point, they were saying, look, Todd and Becca are doing a nice job, they're pushing the business forward. Let's surround them with some right, the right type of advisors um, because they haven't done this before. And while I think they're doing a great job, they, they just can't see six to nine months ahead. So that's when they brought in a, a first advisor, it was Jim Harbald, who was the old VP of Sales and CRO at Box. Learned a ton from him. Had you know constant one on ones with him on how do I structure these sales meetings, what's an operating cadence, just things I never thought about. Yeah. Um, as, you know, VPs are thinking about. And then I, I think just one thing I always recommend to folks getting going, especially at early stage companies, is figure out some things that your boss or your the founders are doing and take it off their plate right? Yeah. So if I could help in any other way on the recruiting front, if I could help any way on they're writing some crazy case studies or they're needing to help on the op side, go, go eat the frog of your boss and like figure out what you need to do. So they show, Hey, you're bought in, you're, you're going and solving problems before someone's telling you. And I think when you constantly do that, people just want to give you more work, more responsibility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, before we move on from, from heap, I'm curious, like, so you're, you're at the VP level. You're, I'm sure you've had, you're, you're feeling good. You're learning a lot, but there's probably some like moments where you're feeling like over your head. Uh, and I don't know if that's like on a big customer deal or like a board meeting or anything, but do you have any moments that were just like an, Oh shit moment where you were just like, man, I'm way ahead of my skis right now. I don't know what the hell 100%. I'm
1: doing. Like I'd be lying if I didn't, on the deal front, not really. Like, we weren't yeah. doing any massive deals or like overly complex. Like, they were good, healthy deal sizes. But in my opinion, doing a 50K deal or 150K deal, it actually isn't that much different. Like, the, yeah. the mechanics of it. But yeah, I remember being in a board meeting and I was like, I have no fucking idea. Like, I should know all of these answers and I don't. I remember yeah. Matt Murphy let our series be. I remember coming out of that. I was like, wow, I just look like a child in there that is never going to happen again, but definitely happened. And I think like, I wish I got better advisors and mentorship and had right people in my corner teaching me a lot of this, because my take on most of this is none of it's really rocket science, but if you haven't seen it once or twice, you just don't know. So you could be as smart as possible, but you don't know how to prepare for a board meeting unless someone's coached you or you've seen it. Right. So like, I definitely had some of those moments and then kind of goes back to what I said when we were hiring a VP of sales. Then we started to look to hire a CRO. At that point, I think a lot of people in my shoes would say, oh man, I'm getting top. This isn't right. I was excited. I go, look, I've kind of hit as far as I can get. It's better for the business and it's going to be better for me. So I remember we were hiring our first CRO and, you know, after we made it through the interview process and we were kind of trying to sell him, I remember saying, look, here's all the problems Here's the things that are going really well. Here's some of the biggest things I'd be tackling. Here's some stuff internally that you should know about. Because if you're successful, I'm going to be successful, right? And I think a lot of people treat it more competitive, where it's like, there's room for other people if you put your ego aside. And I think some people struggle with that. But, you know, maybe if I'd done it four or five times as a VP, it would be a little harder to do that. But I didn't. I was at kind of my, out over my ski. So I was excited for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's great advice. And, um, and it just like, you know, that keeps you humble having <laughs> moments like for that, sure. uh, you know, whether as a rep, yeah, it'll never happen MP. again
1: now. Like yeah. it will never, I'll never feel that way. Well, I hope to never feel that way after a board meeting that I did there, but you have to kind of, you know, take your punches at some point. And I think they're, they're learning opportunities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to talk about champify for a bit. Um, so you left heap, uh, in like 2019 ish, I think, and did a, a year or two, uh, you know, I think doing some, some work, uh, with unusual ventures, uh, at a VC firm, um, you know, maybe just like advising on, on go to market. And yeah. maybe that was something you want to do. Maybe that was just like, hey, I'm going to do this in the interim because I think I can help, but I'm curious about starting your own business. Um, you know, first time founder and, you know, coming from a world where, you know, you were, you know, really successful as a sales leader. um, And there aren't that many, you know, SaaS co, you know, founders that I've had on this podcast that, uh, you know, come from a sales background. Like we're, I think we're mentioning this, you know, right before the recording, like a lot of folks are, you know, the Stanford, you know, engineering MBA, and they come from at it from a product perspective, which is great. But you don't see a lot of like, you know, former VP of sales, then go out and start a business. So I'd be curious, I guess, what led you internally to, you know, make that jump and and take that risk and and take that chance?
1: Yeah, so I I think there's a couple of things. My move to unusual ventures, like I wish I could say it was the most calculated thing ever. And that was my big plan. My logic was I knew I was ready to move on from heat. I love that company. I think they're doing great things. I love the leadership, but I just wanted a new problem to solve. And I realized I liked the first three years a lot better than I liked the last three years. I just liked the early stage stuff. Um, And my logic going unusual was I'm going to see five, six, eight companies pretty intimately from idea stage to first revenue to first, you know, sales hire. Like that's where unusual focus is. So my logic was, okay, I can do what I did at Heap and see it five or eight times in the span of a year, year and a half. That's an awesome experience, right? So that's what got me excited about it. And then in doing that, I was, my original plan was, um, you know, one of those jobs, one of those companies that I'm helping, hopefully I li- I love them, I love the founder, I love the idea, and I jump in as the first kind of sales leader. What I started to realize was that two things, um, watching those founders, I was like, I want that job. You know, I didn't, yeah. w- I wasn't going and saying, Hey, I want to go back to that CRO job. I was like, I want that job. Um, and I think it aligns to my skill sets um, in, in terms of like the things I like doing and where I think I'm uniquely like, have at, I'm good at. So I think like three to four months into that, I was starting to realize, okay, I'm probably not going to do this head of sales thing again. I think if I'm going to, if I can figure out how to start a company, I want to do it. Um, and then at the same time, um, two of the people I worked with at Heap were starting to tinker around with this idea, which we had become Champify. And what happened was, one person, Stephen Ruff, my co-founder, is like, "I'm going to go do this." And um, I had seen some early success of it um, in a way more you know early version when we were doing some of the same fundamentals of what we offer while we were at Heap. And what I started to do is I said, "Hey, this is how." companies are built using the unusual ventures method. Like this is how they go about it. And I started coaching him and saying, this is how you should do it. My original plan was to invest. And I said, start doing this. I'll invest some money. I'd like to be involved. And when I started seeing him doing that and helping a little, I was realizing that this was easier to get people excited about than a lot of the big checks unusual was helping in the founders I was assisting. Hmm. I started to say, okay, I should look a little bit deeper here. I said, if we can get a really good technical co-founder I did the same thing like, you know, when I decided to join Heap, who are the five or eight people that I really value their opinion? It looked a little different now as a lot more founders than individual sellers, a couple people in DC. And I said, what what do you think about this space? Do you think we're the right team to go figure this out? Uh, I feel really pretty. I I feel passionate about the problem. And I also believe that the market is heading in this way. Um, And I got most of the advice was like, hey, if you get a really good CTO, like I think there's enough here, go. And that was kind of how I was feeling. So we recruited a really good CTO. We have three co-founders and we decided to get going. Um, and then to your point on the, the, go, the go-to-market background, I remember asking the founder and was CEO at Heat, Mateen. I said, you know, what do you think about my background? What do you think about the, the technical moat here? And I think what he said really, really hit home with me was that the technical moats of these companies are getting smaller and smaller. And more so than ever, it's who's really good at marketing and go to market and thought leadership and community building and all of that stuff. When I looked at that, I said, Look, well, the go to market oriented sales background founder, I think, is becoming more valuable. So, like the yeah. people out there want to start companies, like, and you're like, Wow, I'm not a computer science major from you know, Carnegie Mellon. I can't do this. It's like, No, you can. And I think your background, the sales background, especially if you've been an early stage company, is like a really, really good. Entry point into starting a company.
0: Yeah, what's been some of the biggest, uh, like you know, biggest challenges or or unknowns that you know, kind of like have hit you in the head uh, since you started?
1: I think there's a lot of just like, how do I start a business? Like, how do I get all the stock stuff in place? What do I do yeah. legal? How do we pay people? Like a lot of that. I think a lot of really good software companies have made it easier, but like that takes more time than I thought. Uh, the biggest Gotcha, or, or thing I'm spending time on is I need to figure out how to get good at product and marketing. Mm. Right. So I've been reading a ton about marketing, like David Gerhardt's Founder Brand Book. Like, I really like that. Like, I, I've been asking all the founders I know who do they follow? What are the companies they l- look up to? I've been looking at other companies from a marketing inspiration perspective and studying those people and trying to get intros to those people so I can learn from them. Yeah. And then on the product side, same thing where, you know, I've never run a product team, like I'm sure I wouldn't be a good product manager right out the gate. But to do the CEO role, founder role, you have to be visionary on where the product's going. And to do that, you really need to deeply understand your customers and have a framework for how you do customer development, how you capture feedback, and how you make those decisions. And what what I've started to do is say, okay, I'm I have the good sales experience. Can I do that well without spending all my time on it and try to get good at the the marketing and product side? And um, I'm not there yet, right? I don't, I, you know, it takes a lot of time to get good at those things. But to me, it, it I looked at it as a new challenge of saying, okay, I got, I need to figure out how to get good at these. What's my plan to do it? And put together a plan. And now I'm going about it.
0: Yeah, I love that you're starting from the the point as well of just um, you know with the business of like this is a pain that you've had intimately before. And, you know, something that, you know, we, I think we were saying before, similar to, you know, how I feel working at Gong is like, I know the pain point, you know, and you know the pain point that you're selling against. You felt it for years and years. And so you can have more empathy. You can be more passionate in your pitch, you know, and, and you can do better discovery and you can do the whole process better. And you probably have more sustained energy because it's something that you feel versus just like, hey, I'm doing this just because I want to help build a company, you know, any company. Um, so I, I think that's, even if you're you know, a rep, SDR, whatever your role is, I do feel like having a true belief and understanding in what the product does uh, makes a huge difference. Like when I was looking at companies, I mainly looked at like who I thought in the tech sales space was interesting because that's where I'm passionate about. And I have a buddy that works at a security company. He's like, dude, you got to come over here. Like the getting's good and this and that. And that's great. Um, it's great to look at like, you know, what are people pulling in like money wise, but like, I just don't even get it. Like, I don't even get what you guys are doing. It's over my head. I'm not smart enough to handle some of these cybersecurity conversations uh, in, from a technical standpoint. And so, you know, I went in a different path and I do feel like that has served me well and I think is is serving and will serve you well, like with what you're doing with Champify.
1: For sure. I felt the same way. It's a, a, Unusual ventures tends to invest in a lot of DevOps, a lot of security, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I, I wish I was more excited about it, but I I wasn't. And I think to do this job well, you have to want to become an expert in the persona you're selling to. Yeah. And to me, I was like, look, I've spent seven, eight years doing that. Like more than that, I should I should not start from scratch. You know. Um. So I I agree with that. And then on the the problem part, I've felt it. Like I remember in 2015, you hire an SDR and say, send this email, make this many calls and you get 15, 18 meetings a month. Like that's not as easy as it was, right? I think people are looking for more creative ways to drive pipeline. And I really believe it. And I believe that, you know, we have a really good entry point into something a lot bigger. And if we get the right team together and are really customer centric and really customer focused, you know, we're going to figure out and start leading the way on what that
0: is. Mm. All right, Todd. Let me hit you with a couple rapid fires. Uh, let the audience know a little bit about you. Um, so first up, we're big readers on the podcast. Um, you mentioned uh, Dave Gerhardt's book, um, but any others that have helped you, e- either in this new journey as a founder or throughout your sales, sales leadership career, that you know really kind of changed you know how you thought about the world or changed like you know the way that you did your job.
1: There's one that's not on. There's one that's not a sales related book that I. Mm-hmm. I I send to a lot of people, it's called Tribe. It's by Sebastian Junger, mm. huge fan of that book, which is basically talks about how we're built to be in small groups. And I think a lot of when you're building a company has some similarities to that. I think from a like business perspective, a book I really liked, and I, I read it when I first got to Unusual Ventures. There's a guy named Liam who's now at Kleiner Perkins was like, you have to read this before you start. And I was like, the mom test, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I, I read that book. And it talks about how do you actually validate ideas? How do you actually get feedback? And I think like that is one of the biggest things. So if you're thinking about starting a company, understanding if it's a good idea, the mom test is one that I think has had a huge impact on me.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, What about other ways that you like to learn, like uh, podcasts you listen to, newsletters you subscribe to, uh, people you're, you're digging on LinkedIn, anything like that that comes to mind?
1: yeah I, I people like you like i listen to a lot of podcasts like this i think that's me trying to pick up nuggets but also just stay on top of what are the people that i'm talking to listening to yeah um i, I read a lot of jason lemkin stuff i become a nerd with the sass i read all the s1 breakdowns like the some of the vcs will put out and kind of their take on what these s1s and what it means um all in podcasts i listen to pretty frequently to just stay yeah. on like more macro stuff um, and some newsletters, like David Kellogg, is this one investor that I really like that I think has a pretty nerdy spin on sales and sales ops that uh, I, I tend to read every single thing he puts out. Um, yeah, that's about it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, what goes on in the Todd Bustler headphones, music wise? Oh,
1: I've been listening to some funky stuff least recently, like <laughs> music from Brazil and music some from France. And When I um, work out, it's still like hardcore rap, Meek Mill, Rick Ross. Otherwise, it's funky or like the light, uh, no lyrics kind of jammy music when I'm working.
0: Okay, I like it. I like it. What's something that you do outside of work to uh, uh, keep yourself recharged, keep the mental health going?
1: I, I I work out consistently. I'm an athlete background. I like can't really give that up. I just yeah. I feel a lot more energy and I feel a lot more. Um, clear in my thinking when I'm working out. But the biggest thing for me is I'm an avid surfer. I surf quite a bit. I travel as much as I can to surf. I think it's the best thing, anything that you can working in tech, anything hobby that you're off your phone and like actually really focused yeah. on something. And ideally with some friends, I think is the combination of the best of everything. Surfing does that golf does that. Um, there's there, I spend most of my time doing those things.
0: Yeah. That's such, that's such a great point. Um, and I was talking to actually a, a founder the other day who's a friend of mine. And he was saying, you know, how he's he he and his girlfriend like bought this b b that's on a farm. And he's like starting to do some like farm work, you know, outside and like, you know, whatever that even means working in the yard and, and doing that type of stuff. And was saying like he values that time, you know, as much as a lot of the work that he actually does on the business because it gives him that time to think you know, to clear his mind. It's where he's getting like a lot of creative ideas for the business and product ideas and things like that. And so, um, seeing that as like, you know, not feeling bad about like, Hey, I'm going to go like surf or go for a long run this morning or whatever it might be, because that actually gets you ready for everything else that you need to get done. If you
1: ever read like the stillness is key, the Ryan holiday book, he talks mm. about all of these like big time presidents, CEO, CEOs, et cetera. A lot of them tend to have similar hobbies like farm work, chopping wood, doing long-term running, like long distance running because of that it gets your mind off. And I think it does help on the creativity side.
0: Don't get me going on Ryan Holiday. Uh, okay. He's he's one of my favorites. I got his new book uh, on my coffee table over there, Discipline is Destiny, which is a good one, but I'll pick up pretty much anything he puts out.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: Um, all right. Who's one person that you'd want to see come on this podcast next?
1: I think Becca would be a really good one. I told you she was early at heap, but uh, yeah. now she's running, running sales at DBT. And, you know, to me, a lot of companies with that type of, uh, you know, they're, they're hot right now. They're growing really quickly, really big valuations, and she's still leading the charge there. So she's doing something right. And she's hired a really amazing, uh, team. And I think she's like one of the most empathetic leaders and selfless leaders. Um, I think she'd be really interesting for your audience.
0: All right, Becca, you're gonna get a cold email from me in about 17 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Todd, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, for for the time today. Um, I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you uh, running through everything. First of all, I just want to give you a chance to kind of talk about Champify for a minute. Like we we've, we've talked about you starting it, but we haven't really talked about like what you guys actually do. So as much as you want to share about that, and then I don't know if uh, you know you're looking for. Users you're, you're looking for, uh, you know, hiring, anything like that, any announce, any other like events, anything else you want to plug, this is uh, your chance.
1: Yeah, they, I appreciate that. And thanks for having me on, Tom. The, prem, the premise of Champify is that it's getting harder and harder for people to generate pipeline via cold channels, right? Like I think as outreach and sales often a, a slew of other tools have grown, what that means is that email volume has doubled in the last two years and response rates down are about 40%. So how do you fill your pipeline? What Champify does is trying to focus on the people that are familiar with you, right? So we start by making it really easy to sell to repeat buyers and users, right? So we make the whole entire process to make sure you're not doing these crazy LinkedIn Boolean searches and trying to guess who might have used your product to figure out, hey, I know the exact users or buyers. And every time they, they move to a new prospect, I want to get alerted. And I want Champify to tell me what I should say so that I can generate more pipeline. So ultimately, what we're trying to do is make it easier for sales leaders not to go into that board meeting and feel like I did at my heap experience uh, and have enough pipeline and to make it a better buyer experience that requires just a little bit less cold outbound, a little bit less bad email tactics and and better quota attainment for everyone.
0: Love it. As someone Uh, who- uh, I'm hiring,
1: just starting to hire reps, just looking for a first full-time marketer. Um, And if anyone wants to try it out, uh, you can go to champify.io and check us out.
0: Love it. One thing I was going to say is, uh, as someone who has spent a lot of time with those LinkedIn uh, Boolean searches that, you know, like you're scouring, uh, you know, all these different ways to search uh, sales nav and and things like that. uh, I'm stoked about a product like this that can, you know, know, pipeline's tough getting out there. The economy sucks. uh, I'll say it. You know, and so I I need some I need all the ways that I can get some low-hanging fruit as possible. So uh yeah, I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Outbound isn't going away. Our logic is can we make it a little bit can we help make that part a smaller part of your day, right? I think is a good thing for everyone and kind of give reps AE's and SDRs a little bit easier way to their number by just thinking about this a little bit smarter. Right. So we have a bunch of different ideas on things we're working on down that same theme but really after exactly what you just said, which is it's hard. Generating pipeline is hard, a lot harder than it was five years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, the stat about uh, reply rates like going down 40% and, and things like that too, which is even scarier. So, um, But anyway, Todd, uh, for everyone that's listening, check Todd out uh, on LinkedIn, Todd Bustler, check out champify.io. Um, Todd, appreciate you coming on, man. This was awesome.
1: Awesome, Tom. Thanks for having me. Good luck with everything. Yes, sir.